Um, all right, today we are talking about talking. You're like, really? That's so you're going to talk to us about talking. Seems a little unnecessary, but uh, more accurately, what we're going to do is listen to James and what James says about talking. And I'll be honest, as I read this text, I was thinking this is not great for a family worship Sunday or for uh, a, a network gathering. I kind of wanted, I, I, I kind of lean into the rah, 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 let's go win the world for Jesus sermons when I get the chance to get everybody together. But, um, but this is what we're all in this week. If you were at, if you were at your home congregation today, Forest Hills are bright and you'd be in this text. So uh, we're just going to walk through this text together and let the Lord uh, speak to us through it. When it comes to the topic of talking, uh, biblical counselor and author Paul Tripp uh, says he knows three things about every person listening to him when he's teaching, when it comes to talk, uh, in relationship to talking. And it's true not just of when he speaks, but when I speak, and it's true of every person here today. Uh, the first truth is you talk. You talk. Every one of us talks seven to 20,000 words a day. Some of you are, have gusts up to 30, 35, 40,000, I think. Um, we all have that friend, right? Um, you're like, I don't have that friend. Well, that's because you're that friend. Uh, so um, I always love the intro, two introverted parents, highly introverted parents who have the highly extroverted child. It's like they've got the, all the recessive genes and the parents are like, she won't stop talking. <laughs> um, and so, it, but, but talkative people can be a huge blessing. They pull some of us out of our shells. They, they can draw us in and, and, and really are a blessing. But um, we talk all the time. If you include the conversations you have in your head uh, all the time, we're, you're saying words to yourself. You're hearing words all the time, every moment of every day. That's the first truth. The second truth, Tripp says, is the saddest and most celebratory moments of your life have been accompanied by talk. And that's, that's pretty obvious, isn't it? You think back to the happiest moments in your life, graduating from college, uh, finishing a dissertation, completing a project at work, um, maybe getting an article printed, uh, getting a new promotion, an amazing trip with good friends, uh, getting married. All of these things mark us, and those events are, there's words, right, that are a part of that. Um, and on the flip side, our saddest moments have often been accompanied by words, things that have been said to us. It's, as, a, as a pastor now uh, for 25 years, I have spent a lot of time talking to people who uh, 20 years after their parents said some words to them, they're still dealing with it, still carrying that pain uh, or, or words that a coach said to them or a school teacher. It, we carry those words. Our saddest moments are accompanied by words as well. And then the third truth is that your world of talk is a world of trouble. And that's true, because I'd love to say I'm up here today as an expert telling you, talking about talking as an expert, but I'm not. I am in desperate need of grace every day. My words are not always godly. My words are not always uh, exalting or encouraging other people. None of us gets a pass on this. I doubt any one of us would volunteer to have our words for the last you know, couple of weeks, all of our words, put on display on the screen, right? Anybody? I don't think so. The, we, we all have words that we know don't honor God. And that's what we're going to hear today as, as an extension of James' passage last week where he talked about we are, we are saved, by grace, uh, saved by faith 
alone, but saving faith is never alone, meaning there's always works, there's always expression in our lives of, of good deeds, fruits, uh, the fruit of the Spirit. Um, but he's, he's tying this now to our words. So we are saved by faith alone, but our, our, our saving faith will, will also spill over into our speech. And he is, I'll be honest, he's coming hard for his, the people he's writing to right now. This was not, if you listen to Lily, you weren't like, oh, I'm going to feel so encouraged today. This is a warm, fuzzy message of how much Jesus loves me and big hug. No, it's, a, it's like a rebuke from beginning to end. And, it's, and, and, and you can summarize it in this. James is warning us about our words. It's really a warning. There's no, it's interesting. There's no sort of like, well, you should use your words for this or for this, or here are some next steps you can take. I'm going to give some at the end that aren't out of the passage, but some practical steps. But, but it's largely from beginning to end, wanting us to feel the weight of our words. So he talks about the power, the danger, and the source of the tongue. Let's talk about these. The power of the tongue, verses 1 through the first part of verse 5. And he begins by, by calling out teachers, right? Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. For you know that uh, we who teach will be judged with stricter, greater strictness. Now, that's, that's tough. But you have to understand that culture. Uh, he's not talking about school teachers here, though I think there's a sense that you're responsible too. Um, but, but rabbis were very, very important in, in Jewish culture. Maybe the most important vocation in Jewish culture was a rabbi. A rabbi, because culture was built around, the people were built around their identity and who they were from God. Those who could stand up and say, thus saith the Lord, are, were people who had authority, right? They were teachers and they were to take the Old Testament law and Old Testament teachings and prophecies and to teach uh, the people. And so there's a stricter judgment for three reasons here. Because First, because the teacher's responsible for teaching the truth and not their opinion, nor what will actually maybe serve them. So even today, I'm going to say some hard things. Now, you'll also hear me confess some things later um, related to this. But I'm going to say some hard things. They're not going to make you like me. They're not going to, it's not going to be a rah, rah, rah uh, sermon. It's, it's going to have some hard truths to it. So even today's message, I feel the weight of going, man, I got to kind of let this, let this sit. I don't, want to, I don't want to cut past things too quickly. So it's, they're responsible for teaching the truth. They're also uh, going to have a stricter judgment because of the reality that teachers affect many lives for good or bad. And then finally, because the teacher is expected to live the truth he or she teaches. Few things have hurt God's people through the Old Testament and through the last 2,000 years of church history more than uh, teachers who get up and teach God's word. Here's the thing, even if they teach it rightly, but who behind the scenes in their visible public personal lives uh, do not live that out. This is complicated by our modern culture, right? Anyone can posture themselves, platform themselves as a teacher. All you need to do is get on your phone, download the TikTok, Twitter, uh, Facebook, Instagram uh, you know, app. You just put in your email address, you fill out your profile, and then you start recording. And you can just talk about whatever, can't you? And I think that that's not healthy. <laughs> I, would, I would argue that 99% of that is not healthy. Um, I'm, so I'm, I'm 50 years old. Uh, and I've, been, I've come to realize that only now in my life am I actually beginning to actually have any 
grow wisdom and knowledge to, to teach out of. Like, I'm like, I, you know, I was 30. I was like, oh, I got this. Like, I've, I know this. I know God's word. I, you know, but, but life has a way of humbling you. <laughs> and, and it's so interesting to see that 22-year-old uh, who's, you know, got 2 million followers on TikTok, and they're just an expert on everything, aren't they? And it's like, this is scary. I'm going to talk about it later, but be careful about who you platform in your own life. Because they might platform themselves for others, but we should be careful about who we're listening to. James stopped. Uh, if James had stopped with teachers facing a stricter judgment, I think I would probably quit. But he goes on to actually kind of, I don't want to say let us all off, but he actually says in verse 2, for we all stumble in many ways. <laughs> so We all, including teachers, we stumble, right? So not perfection. But he says, if anyone is, does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man able to bridle his whole body. Anybody feeling perfect? No. Um, the, the word perfect here, though, is not the, he's, does not mean completely without sin. It's a, it's a state of maturity. It's a state of someone's life who has um, borne out that they are actually living out what they're teaching. Um, it's this hugely important in Scripture. We see this uh, held up in the biblical office of elders uh, it's interesting, if you look at the, all the, the, the characteristics or, or uh, markers of an elder for someone who's qualified to be an elder, um, it's interesting there's only one skill, teaching. Everything else is character. Everything else is character because character it matters most. And that's what makes me, I think, most sad about seeing some young, young ministers whose platform quickly excelled their character because... It sets them on a trajectory that is unhealthy. Listen, I can't, I can't, I'm 50. I couldn't handle that huge success, right? I couldn't handle people cheering me on. I couldn't handle millions of followers on Instagram. I couldn't handle people calling me to come all over the country and preach and teach for them and constantly platforming me in their lives. My ego would, is already large enough. I cannot even imagine. My wife wouldn't even be able to get in the house with me, right? Um, <laughs> And I think like, man, this is a 30-year-old guy, 28-year-old guy or young woman who's, who's like got this influence now. And it's, it's scary. James is emphasizing here the power of the tongue, not just in what it can do out there, but how it impacts our whole lives. You may have heard the, the tongue is the strongest muscle in the body, right? And all you medical people are like, nope, <laughs> that's right. Um, listen to the medical people, not the, the person on, on, on the internet. The tongue is a powerful muscle, but it's not the most powerful muscle in our body. But it is the most unique or one of the singularly most unique muscles in our body. Um, it's actually not uh, one muscle. It's eight separate muscles. And because of the way they work together and the way because of the muscle fibers themselves, it rarely ever gets tired, unlike any other muscle in your body, except your heart, right? Um, but, but your tongue, like think about last time, I, I've, I'm struggling with tongue fatigue, right? No, <laughs> like no, no, I need some muscle relaxers for my tongue. Um, no, it doesn't happen. The way the tongue is wired, it can just go all the time, right? And, and it's interesting because the muscles in our body are attached on both ends, but our tongue is only attached on one end. And uh, somebody made an observation because it attaches itself on the other end with whatever we're talking about or whoever we're talking about. Um, and so the tongue is powerful. Ironically, um, this, I don't know if this grosses you out or makes you think it's kind of cool. I always loved elephants growing up, but our tongue is the closest thing to an elephant's trunk, the way an elephant's trunk works, and also an octopus tentacles. 
the way they, they have versatility and ability to move. So take that home with you. Um, <laughs> but, but James is telling us here, the tongue is powerful and, he, and, and it directs our lives. And he uses a couple of analogies. One is a horse, the way a bit is used in the mouth of a horse. Now, I don't know if you've stood um, next to a horse like a full-size horse. Um, I had a friend who rode a lot as a, as a, a kid. He was a good friend, and I was there, been over to his house many times. I remember one of the first times I stood next to his horse, and, um, and he was cleaning it, and it was like tied to this big, thick post sunk in the concrete. And uh, something freaked him out, and he reared up, and that post moved. It went jingle, jingle, jingle. And, uh, and then he came back down, he calmed back down. And after my friend took him, I was like, oh, he clearly loosened the post, right? And I grabbed it. I could not budge the post. Uh, and, and I remember just being overwhelmed by this 800-pound animal. And yet, you don't steer a, a horse with large instruments, right? What do you need to steer a horse? A tiny bit that goes into the mouth, and then you just, if you know what you're doing, you can direct a horse wherever you want it to go. That's the tongue, and it directs our lives, is what James says. But it's also like the rudder on a ship. If you've ever seen one of these mega ships, so I, I grew up uh, near Newport News, Virginia, which is the uh, second largest shipbuilding uh, company in the world. The Newport News Shipbuilding and Dry Dock Company builds tons of military and commercial uh, ships. So like every night on the news, they're launching such and such ship, you know, and so you got to, I got to see a lot of boats out of water, uh, at least on the news, if not in person. Um, and, and the rudders are tiny compared to the ship. One ship in particular, just to give you an example, the USS Eisenhower, it's one of the largest ships in the world. It's uh, 91,000 uh, 91, tons. It's a, almost 1,100 feet long, 250 feet wide. 6,100 people can be on it with 90 aircrafts. It's like literally, it's powered by a nuclear, uh, nuclear um, uh, power. So you can imagine like this is, this is like a ship, at, uh, like a, a city on the water. And yet the rudder of the USS Enterprise is less than one-tenth of one percent the size of the ship. It's tiny. Your tongue is a tiny member of your body, but it can get you in trouble, can't it? Faster than your arm or your leg or whatever. That tongue, is, is, it can direct your entire life um, because the words that you are saying repeat and, 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 and uh, say over and over again, direct the way your life goes. He's warning us about the power of the tongue and the, warning us about our words. The second uh, thing he's, he uh, wants us to see here is the particular danger around this. So he, he shows it's powerful, but he also wants us to feel the danger of it. Look at second part of verse 5. In verse 6, how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. Anyone use that for your devotional time this week? <laughs> nobody's, writing warm, nobody's writing a warm devotional from this passage, right? It's heavy. Um, but but don't, don't cut past it. This is... A graphic language meant to grab our attention. You know, forest fires are destructive, but they start very simply, typically. Uh, the most damaging or most deadly and devastating forest fire, at least that we know of in U.S. history, was in Peshtigo, Wisconsin, in October 8th of 1871. 1 1.2 to 1 1.5 million acres were destroyed in a matter of days. 
it uh, traveled so fast, it, it overtook people running away from it. There were like tornado, fire tornadoes. Uh, it overtook, destroyed 17 towns. Somewhere between 1,500 and 2,500 people lost their lives. Think about the, how it started. They don't know for sure, but the best estimate is that there was some logging going on in the area and that a logger simply didn't put out his campfire well enough. And the air was dry, and of course everything was dry, and all it took was a little spark to land in the wrong place, and then it began to build, and it burned up a tree, and then burned up uh, uh, more trees, and began to spread. And he's saying, our tongues are fire-causing. They can start a fire in our lives that burn down other people. It can burn down our life, but it can also burn down the people around us. James says our tongue is set on fire by hell. The word he's using here is the word Gehenna, which was a garbage pit. It's Jesus' common word for hell. It's the garbage pit that was outside of Jerusalem that was literally 24 hours of burning garbage. It was, uh, it was such a gross and disgusting place. And for some reason, pagan people uh, saw it as a, as a shrine and began to have worship there and have pagan worship there, including sacrificing children. Um, this was the most disgusting, reprehensible, evil place around. And Jesus said, uh, Jesus said, hell is like that. But James is telling us our tongues is actually set on fire by that kind of evil. He wants us to feel the weight of it. He's saying this. He's writing. Remember, he's not writing to people in general. He's writing to the church, to Christians. And he's saying it is possible for you and me to be a Christian and, and yet to have hell come out of our mouth and burn down someone else's life. We're not immune to it. And he explains why. He says in verse 7 and 8, he goes, Every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Listen, we can train the most amazing animals on earth. We can. We can train them. I'm not saying it's safe, but I'm saying we can do it. I mean, literally the greatest predator in the ocean, the great uh, the killer whales, you know, we can train them to do backflips for a few fish. Um, like we can train them, but you cannot train your tongue on your own. You don't believe me? Try for this week to not say anything sinful or wrong. Just try. You won't make, I wouldn't make it through the afternoon, I'm sure, um, unless I chose to take a vow of silence. Uh, <laughs> but it's hard, right? Um, it, 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 I don't know if this happened to you. <laughs> Something comes out of your mouth, and then you think, where did that come from? Right? You know. It's happened to you. It's happened to me. Confession time. A few months ago, Teresa and I were uh, having a discussion that moved into an argument, and I popped off, like, in a way, but probably haven't in many years. And um, I, it left her a little shell-shocked, and she called me out on it, and uh, I had to kind of sit with that and realize, but, but my first thought was, where did that come from? <laughs> Seriously, I was like, why, why did I say that like that? And it was realizing that it's because it's in there. My tongue is a restless evil full of deadly poison. 
James removes the mystery about where it comes from. It comes from hell. It comes from evil. It comes from the world. And it's like having a deadly snake in your house. You don't have any choice about it, by the way. I know some of you don't even like cats or or dogs, but uh, you have to have a deadly snake in your house, right? You have a cage for it, aquarium, whatever, um, but you have to keep it. It has to stay in your house and it's going to be alive and it's going to live with you forever. How often would you accidentally forget that this is a deadly snake that might strike? How often would you open the aquarium and just go, he probably is not going to strike today? No, what would you do? You'd probably keep that thing shut as much as you possibly can, and you would always be diligent, right? Because you'd always know this thing could kill me. I'm not going to ever turn my gaze from it. I'm never going to leave the cage open accidentally. I'm never going to open it thinking it won't strike. I'm going to think it will strike. James is telling us that's how we should be guarding our tongues. Knowing that you can, this week, burn down someone else's life with your words. So he's warning us about our words, telling us about the danger. And finally here, he gets to the source of the tongue. He's warning us of the inconsistency of our words and how it points to the source. Look at verse 9. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. What he's saying, this is really heavy. We can come in here week after week, sing our songs, read our liturgies, say our prayers, talk to each other, and then go out and destroy people who are made in the image of the God we were worshiping on Sunday. Jackie Hill Perry says, it is an inconsistent thing to sing, I love you, Lord, but to say, I hate you, neighbor. We can sing the words like we did a few moments ago, praise God, from whom all blessings flow, and then go out and destroy the people that God has created in his image and has sent his son to die for. Proverbs 18, if you want to you really get the Bible's teaching on the tongue, on words, read the book of Proverbs. It's full of, Proverbs 18 in particular is full of a lot of wisdom, but Proverbs 18, 21 says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Think about your last week. How often have you brought life to another person with your words? How often have you brought death? What words honored God? And what words hurt people made in his image? I'm telling you, this this is a hard text, but it's so important because we will make excuses about our tongue. What What do we say? Didn't sleep well last night. I'm under a lot of stress, right? Work is super hard. Kids keeping me up at night. Like this, that, or the other. We make excuses instead of recognizing the root of it right? Instead of seeing what it is. Never have I seen, experienced the shift from praise to curse as fast as behind the wheel of a car. I am telling you, I, I'm driving along, Jira, you are enough. You idiot, what is wrong with you? You know, like, bam, literally the song is still playing. And I'm screaming 
screaming at the person in front of me. Better than I used to be, but still battle. Jesus is going to redeem that one day. Um, <laughs> I th- but I had no idea. I mean, I kind of knew it was affecting me. I'd get angry and say those words. But I didn't realize, like, by saying those words, I'm reinforcing those words in my life. You know, you kind of tend to say the same words. Right? I mean, maybe you have that word of the day on your phone. Uh, you're like, I'm learning a new word today. But you typically will go to the words you use a lot. And so there's some, I'd say, some words we need to cut out, of our, cut out of our language. I realized my words were not just affecting me and my heart, but affecting other people when my eldest daughter was in the back seat in her little um, booster seat. We're riding along. Guy cuts me off. She screams, what an idiot. <laughs> and I thought, 